Genesis, first book in the Bible, and chapter 45. Joseph has been hiding himself in plain sight from his brothers because um, they don't recognize him. He's, it's been a long time since they sold him into slavery or they sold him to passing Midianites. And he's probably speaking in, in uh, Egyptian, the Egyptian language. Uh, but now he decides to reveal himself to his brothers. Now Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will not be ploughing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you've seen and bring my father down here quickly. And he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come. Pharaoh and all his household, were all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers... Do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh's, Pharaoh had commanded and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing 
But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away and as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. Well, he would be, wouldn't he? Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the cart Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. One of the problems about... Um, being part of a series of uh, ministries in which different preachers preach their bit is that the danger is that the guy who preached the week before you said everything that you were intending to say today and that's happened to me. So uh, but let's hope that rep repetitio madre memoriae, that repetition is the mother of memory and that um, as I repeat almost everything that Dave Robertson said last week, some of it will stick. Joseph, slavery to prison. Many years ago, I put an ad in the Surrey Comet. I have it uh, written down. Needed for my daughter, an excellent man. <laughs> Must be well built, good looking, honest, loyal, faithful, trustworthy, morally pure, spiritually minded, God-fearing, bold and creative, intelligent, Manchester United fan, all inquiries to 39 Moorlane Chessington. I only had one response. It was from a man called Joseph. <laughs> he spent some years in Egypt. But the, man, the man we find in Genesis 37 to 50, and this is a kind of overview really, the man we find in Genesis 37 to 50 is, um, is a brilliant man. He, he's a man's man. Uh, he gets on really well with blokes. He's also a woman's man. He's very much appreciated by the, by the females of the species. He was a sinner, just like you and me. He's uh, failing. He had failings. He had mistakes. He had pride and selfishness. But the, the Bible presents Joseph to us as a, as a man of God who excelled in his relationship with God and man. And in this respect, he was a pale but, but real reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who we're told grew in favour with God and man. And uh, like the Lord Jesus, the only place where he was deeply unpopular was with, his, with certain of his countrymen, his brothers in fact, who despised his brilliance and boldness in the things of God and hated his excellence. Now the message of these chapters, it's worth remembering that the message of these chapters... Uh, was um, intended in the first place for the children of Israel as they were leaving Egypt and heading across the wilderness to the promised land. 
it was uh, it was one of the books of Moses and so this was recorded by Moses and would be possibly read to the children of Israel in the land of uh, in, in the land of the desert the Sinai Peninsula they would experience there great trials huge challenges problems in in the promised land when they eventually arrived and had to deal with a pagan and hostile culture so this is the message to them and to us really the message of Joseph's life is if you walk with God as Joseph did then the Lord will be with you and will bring you to the prosperity and the success that he intends for you he will give you success but the route is through some very painful experiences and circumstances Joseph suffered terribly and you might have mighty problems as you seek to live out your life for the Lord before the Lord but God will grant you success the kind of success that he determines is right for you he will give you success if you trust him and walk with him I think that's one of the messages of this man's life and so in chapter 39 verse 2 the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered chapter 39 verse 3 the Lord gave him success chapter 39 23 the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success now the best kind of success is the kind that comes to us from by the blessing of God and uh, is kind of enmeshed with our discipleship with our walk with the Lord it's a kind of prosperity there is such a thing as a as a Bible prosperity message God loves to prosper his people. Some of God's best friends in the Old Testament were multimillionaires. But there is a false prosperity message which basically says if you become a Christian, then God will definitely give you health, wealth, and happiness for the rest of your days and perfect health. That, that's, um, that's not the message of prosperity that comes out of Joseph's life. It isn't that. The Lord gave his prosperity blessing to Joseph in the midst of great trials and difficulties which lasted for at least 13 years that's a long time when your your pain begins in your teenage years so we want to enjoy the Lord's blessing and uh, we want to enjoy his prosperity but let's look at some of the kind of secrets of this young man's life I've got two points but the first point is split into three uh, in case you think oh this is going to be good I'm going to be home for lunch early first of all Joseph's heart foundation Joseph's heart foundation what were the stones that um, made up the foundation of Joseph's heart and upon which the blessing of God and the success that God gave him was built there are three uh, the first is God is good and that sounds simple enough why we teach it to our children in EK and we sometimes sing the chorus he's so good to me God is so good he's so good to me but to lovingly consistently walk in that truth in the face of life's pain is sometimes a difficult battle Joseph was hated and abused at home he was an abused child which one of us hasn't felt sorry for that dear 15 year old Russian skater 
He broke down in front of the world's cameras. And you could see her heart breaking, her face crumbling. And all the cameras of the world were watching her. She came off to a chilly reception by all accounts. Well, he was an abused child. His brothers had treated him hatefully. Then they incarcerated him. And then they sold him into slavery. Uh, in our culture, there's a lot of work been done on the abuse of children and the impact it makes on a young life. The powerlessness, the rejection, the anger, the self-condemnation, the guilt, the fear. And Joseph w will have had to face the impact of some of those emotions in his own spirit. What do you do when you're tied up and the Midianites are taking you hundreds of miles from home? He had no child, child helpline to ring. He had no sympathetic deputy head at school to get alongside him. He was plunged into a nightmare, deeply into a nightmare. And just when he'd risen above that by the help and blessing of God, he was plunged into a different kind of nightmare. He was falsely accused of sexual assault by a vindictive and frustrated woman who was used to getting her own way. He was thrown into jail without trial and without possibility of appeal. And just as he made that dreadful situation palatable by the blessing of God who gave him success in the prison, he was given a glimpse of hope. One of the great government officials of the land promised him that he would speak to Pharaoh about his case and that things might get better. Of course, the bloke forgot about him. As soon as he got out of the prison, he was occupied with his self-centered affairs and forgot all about the promise of one of Pharaoh's leading civil servants. Another two years went by. I don't know what the prison was like. I imagine there was no TV in cell. Mm -mm. I don't think there was an internet. I don't know what the food was like. Maybe there was a bucket in the corner as a toilet. Uh, it, all those things are possible. A series of nightmares was 13 years long. So I'd like to ask, are you, are you passing through a nightmare time in your own life? At the moment, young person struggling with abuse, being bullied at school, Maybe a broken home, maybe the victim of rejection, uh, the victim of unjust treatment at work. You're reading a book this week called How to Kill a Narcissist. <laughs> uh, it doesn't mean kill literally, it means to kill their influence over you. How to kill someone who takes pleasure in dominating you and sucks the life of you out of you like one of those creatures in Harry Potter. What are they called? The what? Oh, the Death Eaters, yeah. I, I once had months in a, a bank in Manchester with a, a man who was about three or four years older than me who was a narcissist and who took delight every day and all day in humiliating and crushing me at the age of 17. I know what it's like. Someone had it, has had it in for you, like these brothers, this, this potty of his wife afflicted damage 
on your career or on your reputation or on your emotional well-being? Are you in that kind of place? If you read Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph was able to say at the end of all this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. God is good. Joseph was able to say that despite this, this uh, catalogue of um, difficult and painful circumstances. So through the nightmare, Joseph learned to trust this truth. God is good and he's good to me. Now, it's true, sadly, I've seen it over the years that a number of Christians respond to pain, to life's pain, as though this were not true. And there creeps into their heart an attitude that says, if God were really good and had my best interests of heart, he would not have let me fall into this mess. And they stop loving and seeking God at heart level. They kind of feel aggrieved at God and they put a little bit of distance between themselves and their Heavenly Father. They pull back from a generous and wholehearted commitment to him and service for him. They turn to something or someone else for comfort. They may be attached to a church, but not to the Lord personally and inwardly. It happened to the man in Psalm 73. God is good to Israel, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. Saw how, how prosperous were the unbelievers, and, but I'm waking up in pain every morning. If God were really good and had my interests of heart, he would not have allowed this to happen to me. <coughs> Well, that was Israel's response when they were in the wilderness and in the desert, their trials and testings and fears. They wished they'd never trusted the Lord's word in the first place. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Things looked better in Egypt than this miserable existence that God had brought them into in the desert. And their anger and frustration wasn't expressed in the first place against God, but against his earthly representatives, Moses and Aaron. Quite often I've found over the years that people who get hurt by life, they, they don't take their anger out on God in the first place. They blame their church leaders. Well, God the Holy Spirit holds up before us the heart of this young man so brutally treated and abused. And he says, he laid a foundation stone in his heart which said, God is good. And he's good to me. And sometimes you have to believe that by faith when everything seems to contradict it. Will you? Have you laid that foundation stone by faith in your heart? And for us, of course, that stone is, um, is made heavier and stronger and larger by the fact that God has expressed his deep, deep love for us in the giving of his dear and only begotten son for our salvation. Calvary, the place where Jesus died for you, is the place that declares above all places that God loves you and he's good towards you. He loved me and gave himself up for me, said the apostle. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the first foundation stone in Joseph's life. Joseph's heart foundation, God is good. The second is, God is sovereign. 
Don't you think there might have been times in Joseph's life when he wondered if God was really in control? <laughs> he obviously heard from his father the word of God spoken to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on. He had obviously heard from his father the word of God which promised that Abraham's descendants would live in the land of Canaan. But here he was in slavery in Egypt, hundreds of miles away, he believed the word of God given to him in two dreams that God would give him such a position of prominence and honor that even his parents would bow down in respect to him. He believed that those dreams were from God, but it didn't seem to be working out too well for him now. He's in prison, sitting on a bucket to go to the toilet. Where is the sovereign God now? What's the temptation that you feel when you feel you can't trust the sovereign power of God, that you can't trust that his purposes and his plans are trustworthy? Well, you can take things into your own hands. I'm done with that. You can drop out, you can lash out, you can resign, you can change course hastily, you can take off, you can throw yourself into a life of sensual pleasure, love, sex, money, possessions, holidays, alcohol. Turn to something you can touch and taste and see, which you can trust for a few minutes or a few hours, but don't take the risk of trusting that God knows what he's doing. Many years ago, when I was uh, in pastoring what was then called the Chessington Evangelical Church, a man came from Australia and he joined our, he joined our church and he joined our house group. He was a very bright man. He was a lecturer in philosophy and he loved the Bible. And that was the thing. He came to our house, he was a great contributor and then suddenly he dropped out of the Christian life altogether. He abandoned the Christian life and his, uh, his testimony was, it doesn't work. All these promises, all these great stories, they don't work. He, he, he could no longer take the risk of trusting entirely in the purposes of God. Well, the Israelites had the same reaction in the wilderness when it seemed as though Moses had gone off for, for weeks and the invisible God of Moses was nowhere to be seen. They made a golden calf for themselves. Uh, it was costly, but at least they could see and touch this God. It would give them some immediate comfort and the new God wasn't as fussy as the old God. He could let them have orgies and parties to their heart's content. They felt a bit more secure and a bit happier for a while, but it didn't last and God's painful judgment came in the end. Now this is the issue really to us in the, in the, in the midst of life's pain. Do you trust that a mighty God has purposes for your life that cannot be smashed? Not by abusing brothers, not by vindictive lovers, not by forgetful important officials when you long for a boyfriend and there don't seem to be any Christian men out there. Will you trust the powerful purposes of God for your life? Will you trust that God is able? God is in control even though right now it doesn't look like it. Genesis 45, verses 4 to 7. Come close to me, 
I'm your brother Joseph. Don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been a famine, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. He was in control. He was sovereign. God is good. God is sovereign. Third, the third element, the third stone in Joseph's heart foundation is God is wise. All these foundation stones are, 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 are similar to each other. They're bound together. They're made of the same rock. Character of God. Joseph was able to say, I can't see the future, but God can. I can't see how exile, slavery and jail are wise moves. But my father can. I'm in this mess by wise purposes. Okay, my brothers didn't behave well. Potiphar's wife behaved wickedly. Potiphar acted precipitously. But not one of their attitudes and actions caused a defeat for the wisdom of God. He was wisely and marvelously planning things in such a way that what he planned for my life and for his glory has been wonderfully fulfilled. His wisdom never makes a mistake. Say you find the same kind of thing, a, a similar sentiment in, in Acts chapter in Acts chapter two, the preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter two, verse twenty two. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. God is sovereign. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. They intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. As you travel with me to the promised land, will you react to rejection and abuse and unjust treatment and betrayal and broken promises and lies and vindictive spite? Loss of job, loss of reputation, loss of status, loss of family life, enforced singleness, dashed hopes, serious health issues. Will you react by saying God knows what he's doing? I'm tempted to tell you a story I read when I was 18 in a book called He is Able. I'm running out of time, but I want to tell you this story. It, it involves um, one of my heroes called Dr. William Sangster, who was one of the great preachers in Methodism in the 1950s. And uh, <coughs> when he was a young boy, he went on camp. I think it was a, to a Christian camp. And uh, partway through, very early in the camp, he ran out of money. So this is going to test your age. He, he sent a postcard to his father, and it said, SOS. What does that mean? LSD. 
Pounds, shillings and pence, that's money. RSVP, <laughs> reply as soon as possible. And no money came. No money came. And his friends began to mock him. Your dad doesn't love you. Your dad doesn't care for you. And he said this. I know my father loves me. I don't know why he hasn't sent the money. But I will ask him when I get home. I will ask him when I get home. And there will be times in your life where you don't know what God is doing. He's not given you an explanation. All he's done is give you himself. He's given you himself in the person of Jesus Christ. But you can say, well, I don't know what's happening, but I'll ask him when I get home. He'll give me an answer. Well, that's uh, Joseph's heart foundation. God is good. God is sovereign. God is wise. I finish with this briefly. The thing is this, Joseph's helpful ministry. You see, Joseph wasn't just going around chanting these three foundation principles uh, like, a, like a religious mantra. They were foundation stones upon which he built a life of peace and a ministry to others. When you're deeply convinced of these three great truths, you can look outside yourself and seek to bless others and not just suck everything into yourself for your own sustenance. You can serve others and bring the blessing of God into their lives and Joseph used his talents and his abilities under the ministry of the Spirit of God and God blessed Potiphar's household he'd, he'd probably gone into the marketplace tested his thighs and his calves and his, and his biceps and, he'd, and seen what a, what a choice slave this man was going to make he bought him brought him into his house no freedom couldn't go anywhere he wanted he was Potiphar's slave but he, he served Potiphar in such an amazing way that his fields, his bank balance, his profitability, his peace of mind were given to him through his servant Joseph, God's servant. The owner of the slave received the Lord's favours because the slave walked in fellowship with God and ministered to others in the strength of God. So you can be a source of blessing in your school, your college, your home, just by the way you walk with the Lord, your football team, wherever, even in your jail, you have a secure foundation in your heart and a principle, principle for serving others because you've got an inner strength that enables you to release service into the lives of other people. Some of us uh, we're older can remember a young man who came to Chessington Evangelical Church for a while called John Winter. He was a rough Geordie. He was a rough diamond, John Winter. He trusted Christ as a young man. He was working in an engineering firm on the banks of the River Tyne. He got a lot of stick and abuse from his workmates. I worked in a factory in Oldham for a few months when I was trying to get a bit of money from when I was on holiday from college. Man, I got some stick because I was he heading for the Christian ministry. Yeah, I had to pretend I was all right, you know. <laughs> I had to learn to speak Oldham all over again. Um, anyway, he was there in this factory and they gave him a lot of stick and he got abuse from his workmates. But as the months went by, different men began to seek him out for advice and help when they were in trouble. 
because they saw a man they could trust. They saw a man who had a, a grace about him that kind of leaked life, a man with the Lord in his life. But if you don't really believe, if you're not really resting on the foundation that God is good and sovereign and wise, then you'll have to start taking care of number one, yourself, self-protection, self-preservation. And the amount of energy that's left over when you've been living a life of self-centeredness is that you have not much left to give to the others around you. The more you need to spend yourself on yourself, the less you'll have to spend on others. And notice this, my friend, one of the chief causes of discontent in our hearts is called, caused by the spirit of comparison. We look at others, at how well things are going for them, how badly things are going for us, how superficially blessed they seem to be. I was envious, says Psalm 73, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Joseph didn't sink into ungodly reactions when he was looking day after day, hour after hour, at the, at the wrong side of a prison door. He didn't sink into self-pity. He walked with God. Joseph blessed a whole household, a whole prison. Imagine that, a whole prison filled with what, whatever kind of blokes they were, a whole prison was blessed by the presence of one man. And through his walk of integrity with God, he blessed the whole nation and saved the embryonic Jewish nation from starvation and famine. So your life, my friend, has immense potential for bringing the blessing of God to others. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Well, God can do that with your life, in your home, in your place of work, in your school, in your college. You might not be able to see it because none of us comes home from work and says, oh, I was such a blessing to everybody today. No, you come home and think, oh, I didn't do very well. I was rubbish. The Lord is with me. He's good to me. He's sovereignly leading me through life. He's wisely watching over my hearts and affairs. I can absolutely trust him. I, can, I am secure in him. I'm strong in him. I can minister to others the blessing of God. That's it. I've just got one more thing to say. By remembering another favorite son. You're all running ahead of me now, aren't you? We remember another favorite son. He too was given a glorious coat. He was clothed with his father's glory. He came into the world, not speaking the word of God, but as the word of God. And his brothers hated him, came to his own, and those that were his own did not receive him. His brothers, brother Israelites, to the most part, rejected him. They sold him into Gentile hands. He was falsely accused. He was illegally jailed. He was crucified and laid in a tomb. But through his suffering, he saved a multitude that can't be counted. Our sin did that to him. But if we come to him and bow down to him and submit to him and trust him, 
He will treat us like beloved brothers. Forgiven, accepted, embraced and provided for eternally.